welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to today's episode of our Reed Smith Tech Law Talks podcast. In today's episode, we're going to discuss international data transfers after the EU data protection framework approval in July of 2023. My name is Cynthia Dunahoo. I'm from Reed Smith, the tech and data team in London, and I have with me my partner, Andy Splitt-Gerber from our Munich office. We're both experts and passionate about data protection. So just to set up some background, um, the European Commission issued a very long-awaited decision for the new EU-US data privacy framework, and that decision was issued on the 10th of July, 2023. There were two previous frameworks that allowed transfers of data from the EU to the US, but both were invalidated by the Court of Justice of the European Union, the CJEU. Those transfer mechanisms were the EU U.S. Safe Harbor, which was invalidated back in 2015, and the U.S. EU Privacy Shield, which was invalidated back in 2020. The CJEU's rulings were in response to challenges by an Austrian privacy activist, Max Schrems, and his NGO organization called NYOB. The EU and the U.S. worked really hard the last few years to address the CJEU's findings uh, in what we call the Schrems 2 case which followed the invalidation of the Privacy Shield. As part of the negotiations, President Biden signed an executive order, Executive Order 14086, which introduced binding safeguards enhancing U.S. signals intelligence activities. Looking a bit closer, we want to use today's episode to explain these developments a bit more and to help organizations structure their data transfers. So Andy, What is the major change? Why has the European Commission found the new US-EU data privacy framework offers an adequate level of protection? Yeah, thank you very much, Cynthia. And hello, everyone. Very pleased to talk um, with you today about the data transfers in this really uh, great moment in times of data protection that uh, data transfers between Europe and the US are possible again what made the commission they didn't change their mind no it was mainly the u.s side that adjusted their legal landscape and we'll hear a bit later it's not the laws but it's their legal landscape so it's executive orders to better protect european personal data from a european data protection perspective so changes in the u.s led to the commission in Europe to reevaluate the situation after this Schrems 2 decision and to then find that uh, the US has uh, an adequate level of data protection because uh, changes were mainly um, in the area of access to personal data by US government agencies. So a proportionality principle was introduced and then also redress mechanisms for European individuals to complain and go before a court or a tribunal if they're not happy with uh, the handling 
of their data by these agencies. This plus the known certification, the one we know from Privacy Shield, basically the same principles, those two led to um, the commission saying, okay, now we kind of like have a Privacy Shield number two or a safe harbor number three for, for the data protection dinosaurs here and uh, said, okay, that's acceptable. And uh, we can now transfer the data to the U.S. on this basis to certified organizations. On the certification, Cynthia, um, you, you had a closer look at the FTC's website for the certification mechanism. What uh, are the news there? What process do companies have to follow? And, and now, you know, as of when can they rely on the data protection framework? Well, there's a lot of questions in there, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> First, I'm going to make one, cur one, one change. It's uh -huh. not the FTC's website. It's the Department, U.S. Department of Commerce website. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. Yeah, you're the right. FTC is the enforcer. Um, so how the certification process works. Basically, it's self-certification. So organizations that want to adhere to the U.S. privacy framework essentially would fill out an application form attach supporting documentation, publicly say that they adhere to the data privacy principles and um, issue a public-facing privacy policy, both saying they adhere to the principles and setting out how they process data, file all that with the Department of Commerce, who looks through everything, and if appropriate, then the company is self-certified. Once they're self-certified, they appear on the um, what's called the framework list, um, and ironically, there are quite a lot of companies on the framework list already. And the reason for that is because even though the CJEU had invalidated the U.S. Privacy Shield, companies were still able to stay certified to the Privacy Shield. And so companies that had retained their self-certification were automatically deemed to adhere to the framework. So there are actually a couple thousand companies that are already certified to, to the framework. And obviously now there's an option for companies to, to join the framework new if they haven't done so already. The framework isn't available for all companies though. Um, so it's only companies that are subject to um, the FTC and to the U.S. Department of Transportation. So for example, banks, which are not regulated by the FTC, and insurers are not eligible for the U.S. EU privacy framework. So that means, obviously, organizations like that still need to come in for, you know, still need to consider other transfer mechanisms like the, the standard contractual clauses, for instance. The other thing is the, the because you're subject to the uh, jurisdiction of the FTC, um, which enforces the, the framework, companies that fail to comply you know, could be subject to enforcement action and companies that persistently fail to comply can be removed from the framework list and they can be made to return or delete the personal data that they would have received under the framework mechanism. So a pretty draconian remedy for organizations mm -hmm. that say that they adhere and don't actually. So Andy, the, the framework covers transfers as we've been talking about, obviously from the EU, EEA countries, to the United States. But it's really only 
you know, those two countries in scope. What about the, the model clauses, the standard contractual clauses issued by the European Commission? I mean, they cover processing on behalf of an organization, what we call the Article 28 standard contractual clauses. And what about controller to controller situations or controller to processor situations? Is that still possible under the, the data protection framework? Yes. So SCCs can still be used and they're kind of like existing next to the data protection framework. So do also the binding corporate rules, for example. All data transfer mechanisms profit from the changes in U.S. legislation. So also SECs or binding corporate rules are now with less risk uh, transfers based on these tools because the U.S. landscape has changed. Now, uh, if we're looking what do companies need to do, if they're using now SECs, they can continue using SECs. They can change their transfer impact assessment or need to change it because it will be more positive. Yeah, A transfer that might possibly not have been possible in the past due to a high risk. And I'm, I know we're not supposed to say in the transfer impact assessment risk, but perhaps now transfers are possible that were legally not possible half a year ago. So check the situation. If now a company is certified a data importer in the US on the framework, the parties need to look in their current existing agreements whether a change of this transfer tool is possible unilaterally or if the parties need to agree to this. If there's new agreements and the parties choose to, to use um, the data protection framework, then of course they also need like the data protection agreement basis like you said. For example, in a controller to processor situation, they need an Article 28 data processing agreement if it's a controller-to-controller situation, we don't really have an agreement. I don't know, what, Cynthia, what you use in the UK. In Germany, we often use something like a call. We call it a purpose agreement. So a very short agreement where the parties agree on the purpose of the transfer. Yeah, and we call it a data-sharing agreement. So it's basically sharing where both parties are controllers. But um, our data-sharing agreements will... It can either include the UK form of transfer agreement, if they're transfers, so the UK IDTA, or of course we can use the EU SCCs and attach a UK addendum. So, but we would normally only use the Article 28 type uh, agreement where there is no transfer because the European Commission version doesn't include transfers, whereas the EU SCCs for international transfers includes a controller mm -hmm. and processor module. So, but I think, you know, you're talking about Article 28 and, and processor agreements. Obviously, if there is an onward transfer, so let's say I have a controller in country, you know, let's say the Czech Republic, and I have a processor in Estonia, if Estonia is going to transfer the data to another subcontractor or subprocessor, as we would say, then obviously that entity in Estonia would probably have to either ensure that they're transferring to an organization certified, the privacy framework, and if not, they'd have to rely on those, you know, processor to processor module of the SCCs. So, you know, the context of the transfers is always really important. And now what about the, the processor to processor under the privacy shield? So in your example, so the a European processor 
moves data to a, to a data protection framework certified recipient in the US? Do we use like, uh, like we, what we do within Europe, like a C2P clause is a bit adjusted to the P2P situation, right? Plus the certification. That, that's where it becomes really important to understand what the company has certified to. Yeah. So that's where you really need to take check that data, uh, the data privacy framework list and see what they have certified to in terms of the types of data that they're processing as well as the purpose of the processing. And the framework allows you to certify as a controller and to certify as a processor. Mm -hmm. And in your same self-certification, you can make that distinction. You can say for, I don't know, let's say HR data, I'm a co-controller with my local affiliate, but if I'm processing data, um, let's say I'm a cloud provider, I'm, I'm processing data through hosting of cloud data, well, I'm doing that as a processor, not necessarily as a controller. So the certification should make those distinctions. And so, you know, going back to that example, where an onward transfer from an Estonian processor to a processor certified to the framework, obviously, if the, the company in the U.S. that's receiving the data from Estonia is certified as a processor and it covers the type of processing, no additional agreement would be needed for the transfer. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a real important takeaway. For the processing. <laughs> yeah. That's a real important takeaway, I think, for the audience. Uh, you know, not not just rely on yes, this organization is on the list, certified companies, but also check the details of the entry, what data is covered, what what's the function. And so now, one last one here. So we have the the model clause, the SECs. We have the privacy data protection framework. We have BCRs. The GDPR kind of like thinks if there is an adequacy decision and the data protection framework is an adequacy decision, then primarily use this one, use so rely on the adequacy decision. Now there was recent uh, communication by the European Commission that uh, the, the data exporter has a choice which tool to use. What is your thought on this? Is there a, like a first use the framework obligation or perhaps a practical need from perhaps the U.S. party? Yeah, I, I think it, it's always going to depend on the context, like we were just saying. You know, the framework, it's only a bilateral transfer, right? So it's only from the EU to the U.S. If you're in a situation where there's transfers to multiple parties, you know, and, and the, mm. the counterparty isn't certified to the framework, well, then it makes far more sense to have a multi-party SCCs because mm -hmm. of course you've got the docking clause in the SCCs. So, you know, what I wouldn't do though, and what I wouldn't recommend is to use both, you know, that ultimately the framework stands on its own two feet. If you're transferring data to the U S you don't need the clauses on top and that the framework and the clauses don't exactly align. And ultimately, you've, you've got a potential conflict of laws. The model clauses will always be subject to the, the jurisdiction of the designated regulator and the designated EU law. The framework is subject to US law and subject to FTC enforcement. So you have 
kind of the battle of laws and the battle of regulators. So, you know, I know some people have said, oh, belt and braces do framework and SCCs. Uh, that's not something I would advocate at all. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. And now, what about thoughts? How solid is the framework? Um, we have heard um, Maximilian Schrems announce already that he's going to sue the first ones that are certified and uh, go with his Schrems 3 case to the European Court of Justice. Do you think the, the data protection framework now is a solid one? And like, I mean, what do you think of like criticism um, that has been published by Schrems? Well, uh, some of the criticism was echoed by the European Data Protection Board mm -hmm. early on. Um, and certainly, you know, if you read, let's say, criticism by other NGOs, uh, it's aligned to what Max Schrems is saying. There's no doubt we're going to see a Schrems 3. I mean, he's already publicly announced that he's going to challenge the framework. And one of his criticisms is that the framework was an executive order rather than a legislative enactment. And of course, the European Data Protection Board was, was critical of that as well. So while an executive order will set out how laws should be interpreted or enforced, as in this case, you know, the main law at issue is, is FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, you know, which has resulted in mass surveillance of communications. The executive order, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, talks about necessity and proportionality. That is irrespective of the framework that just applies across the board. The whether or not the attack on the on the, the style of of let's say law, you know, whether it's really a, something that's gone through the U.S. Congress or whether it's issued by an executive order is worthy of an attack and something the CJEU will focus on. You know, I I don't know. I mean, ultimately, the framework seeks to address some of those points you raised. You know, that individuals have redress that. You know, the surveillance is conducted in an unnecessary and proportionate way. You know, part of the executive order also required the Department of Justice to put in place new policies and creation of a new data protection framework court. So, you know, I mean, obviously, the, the executive order, the, the negotiations between the United States and the EU went a really long way to try and address some other shortcomings. As far as other points of criticism, you know, I think... Ultimately, the framework is going to suit some people. It's not going to suit everybody. You know, if you have operations in numerous EU countries, as well as, you know, operations in, you know, APAC or Asia or the Middle East, you know, does the framework really get you that far or you're better off just using a single multi-party, you know, set of model clauses? I have to admit, if you're already subject to 27 regulators, why add another one? Mm -hmm. you know, why add the on top of that <laughs> you know so and then you know you look at the gdpr is already four percent potential of uh, worldwide turnover for for violations and you know you've seen some of the enforcement actions coming out of the ftc they've got some pretty strong enforcement powers as well so you know and that, that comes down to i think a, an organizational choice whether or not you want to subject yourself to an additional regulator And then, of course, if, you know, as I said, if you're if you're transferring data across a lot of jurisdictions, you know, is it is a mechanism like the SCCs easier? 
you know, and the, the certification also comes with a fee, has to be recertified every year. So, you know, there's, there's organizational, let's say, mechanism, processes, implementation that has to be put in place if you're going to certify to the framework that's over and above what you'd have to do for the SECs. So I don't know, Andy, I mean, what do you think? Do you think Schrenz, I mean, obviously he's been made very public that he's going to target the framework. What do you think? Will his case succeed? No, it won't. (laughs) 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 No, uh, yeah, as you say, I'm sure he'll he'll, uh, he'll launch one. But what I found really impressive in the making of this framework was the close cooperation between the U.S., and Europe, how how really both were working very intensively together to meet the requirements, especially the U.S. double checking back and forth with Europe on uh, whether they really meet the requirements under GDPR, and and that was something we haven't seen with the prior framework. So I'm confident that this will hold this time, and it's a reliable tool. Yeah, you're more convinced than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always positive. <laughs> I'm positive too. <laughs> so with your caution, what what do you recommend? What what shall organizations do now? What's the like next to do's for all the data exporters and data importers listening to our podcast? Um well I think we've touched on already. Obviously they need to figure out what is going to be best for them. If they're already using SECs, do they stay on that mechanism? You know, does the framework actually provide a a better opportunity for them? So, you know, if I was a supplier based in the U.S. and, you know, I'm receiving lots of data from customers in the EU and it is only a one-way transfer, maybe it's better for me to, you know, certify to the framework. So I think the context is really important. But obviously, you know, it takes an analysis to figure out what is going to be your preferred method. And that analysis needs to be undertaken. You know, in terms of EU exporters, what should they do? Well, obviously they need to consider their agreements. They need, you know, if they're working with a supplier and the supplier decides to certify to the framework, you know, do they need to then update their agreement? You know, so there, there might be steps both on an exporter's side as well as on an importer side, you know, and and then obviously if there's onboard transfers, that all needs to be assessed as well because you need to assess the entire transfer mechanism throughout the supply chain. And then, of course, transfer impact assessments. You know, after Schrems 2 decision, lots of organizations had to do transfer impact assessments. You know, the European Data Protection Board at the time had issued guidance on supplementary measures. You know, obviously now that the European Data Protection Board Commission's adequacy decision has said that that necessity and proportionality principle applies to all transfers, do those transfer impact assessments need to be updated? You know, what was a supplementary measure? Is it still? I mean, if if a supplementary measure isn't needed, is it just a security mechanism now? Or is it a contractual mechanism? Or is it an organizational security so, you know, I mean, ultimately, it could be that, that those supplementary measures just aren't really applicable anymore, but they fall into another category. So, again, you know, if you think about a, a normal data protection 
uh, agreement or data transfer agreement, the annexes usually go into quite a lot of detail about the, the security and organizational measures. So would those things need to be updated? Yeah, that's kind of my view is, is to what organizations should be doing now. So I'd say, one, assess whether or not you want to participate in the framework. Two, assess what is the appropriate mechanism if it's not the framework. You know, if you're in a, an agreement with someone, you know, maybe that you, you need to engage your supplier management function to understand what they're going to do. And then you may need to update your your TIA. Andy, any, any further thoughts on that? I mean, you know, anything you want to add on what you think organizations need to do now? Or have you seen any reactions or announcements by authorities in the EU regarding the data protection framework and, and potential future investigations or actions? Yeah, no, I think the to-dos or the action points you mentioned, that's, yeah, exactly, totally agree. I mean, the transfer impact assessment was a bit of a pain point or is a bit of a pain point. I totally agree to, you know, reevaluate. And uh, I must confess, I haven't seen too many really well thought through and drafted transfer impact assessments. So, uh, we can we can be more positive about those. What I see from authorities here in Germany, the authorities are very positive about the framework. I feel also a relief. You know, the transfers are made easier again. Um, you had a bit of the impression authorities didn't really know how to handle the situation. They were quite quite passive in in uh, investigating. Uh, from the CNIL in France, I heard rather reserved comments, rather like um, not as positive as mine, <laughs> but more more like yours or even more negative. Like, uh, well, let's see how this develops. And then from the European institutions, I've heard uh, they're looking into like existing adequacy decisions. If there need to be made any changes, they're checking if if new countries can be adequate and what i personally think is um like i feel i feel very good about the us now and i guess that authorities and also we and companies need to look into other countries like you know in asia for example whether like the secs plus then the transfer impact assessment can meet the european standards thanks andy all right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. That's the end of today's episode of Reed Smith Tech Law Talk podcast. We do appreciate your joining and listening. And if you have any feedback or comments, please do send us an email. Wishing everyone a really nice day. Bye now. Thank you. Bye. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.